0: We will be in the book of Hebrews again uh, in chapter 10. And uh, we're going to be about halfway through chapter 10. And we have made it. We've made it past the, the part that it talks about uh, where the writer of Hebrews is going over and over and over of the sacrificial priestly work of Jesus. So hopefully you have it figured out that Jesus died once ...on the cross, never needing to be repeated again for the sins of his people. He not only is the sacrifice, but he's also the priest that represents the people before God. Okay, That was a quick summary of chapter 6, 7, 8, 9, and the beginning of 10. Okay, And because of that, we get now to the beginning of our passage in verse 19 with a therefore. Because of those last five chapters... Therefore, and then he goes on from there, what do we have as a result of the work of Jesus and the person of Jesus and who he is on our behalf? And so we're going to be looking at verses 19 to 25 of Hebrews 10. Uh, this one will be on the screen, uh, but I, if you have the, if you have a Bible or have a way that you interact with the word either digitally or whatever, I want you to to open it so that you 're in the word, um, but some have asked that we we would put it up there um, and uh, for a, a variety of reasons, some of them comical but anyway um, <laughs> i 'll tell you later all right so uh, so in Hebrews uh, chapter 10, starting in verse 19, would you stand as we just submit ourselves to the word of God as we look at it? Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that is opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, not neglecting to meet together as as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near let's pray god would you take your word would you use it in our midst uh, father thank you for the work of jesus not only that he was the son of god who came and walked on this uh, on this earth and walked in our shoes But he was the perfect sacrifice to pay for our sin. We had a God-sized problem. And so we needed a God-sized solution. Thank you that the finished work of Jesus does not need to be repeated. Thank you that we can have confidence not because of our merit and our work, but because of his. Father, I pray that you would spur us on, challenge us. I pray that we would not leave the same because of looking at your word this morning. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you would please be seated. So back in Tampa uh, when, I, when, when I was there uh, and um, a friend of mine was flying back to Tampa after being away on business and uh, he ended up sitting next to none other than Reggie Jackson. Okay? If you don't know, Reggie Jackson is a Hall of Fame baseball player who played for the New York Yankees. Okay? He played for the A's, but nobody knows that. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, Reggie noticed um, that my friend uh, Ed was actually wearing a huge World Series ring from the Yankees and uh And so Reggie looks over at Ed and was you know kind of w- like what's going on there uh, and uh, so Ed explains that this was given to him by George Steinbrenner, the owner of the Yankees, uh now deceased, and uh, given to him by the owner of the Yankees because Ed represented him as legal counsel in tax in tax matters and so Reggie jackson um who well, he enjoys himself. Uh, he was very quick to point out, uh, very quick to point out that my friend didn't deserve to wear the ring, okay? Because he wasn't a player, and he dismissed Ed completely in that conversation. Anyway, they they fly to Tampa. The, anyway, you know that the Yankee may know the Yankees train spring training in in Tampa, and a couple days later, fast forward, my friend Ed is talking. On the field, next to George Steinbrenner, and they're having a conversation, and guess who walks up Reggie Jackson, and Reggie walks up and sees now my friend Ed with George Steinbrenner, and it was as if they were old friends, right? Oh, my buddy Ed, how are you and uh, it, it, it changed how what changed Reggie's response to my friend it was his, it was the fact that he was with. George Steinbrenner. And so being with George Steinbrenner uh, changed how uh, Reggie Jackson viewed him. The one who stands with you matters, right? Ed belonged now because he was with someone who absolutely belonged there. And and that idea of being with somebody who has incredible merit is the idea of having an advocate that is much greater than you, much more a place of belonging than you or me have. And, And Jesus stands with us. It changes how God the Father views us. Jesus stands with us as our advocate. We belong in the presence of God the Father, Only because Jesus belongs in the presence of God the Father. And the fact, if you have faith in Christ, you are united to Jesus, says whatever is true of him is also true of us. And that is staggering if you search your heart at all. Right, and, and so what is the idea of us thinking through we have an advocate is uh, in our passage, which we just read, since we have a great high priest over the house of God. The high priest represented the people before God. He made atonement for, for his sins, the priest's sins, and for the sins of his people. The priest also interceded for them before the throne of God. They, in a sense, when Jesus is the great high priest, he's, he's saying to God the Father, they're with me. That God the Father looks at us with all the merit and all the blessings of Jesus because we are with him. So if you were following along at all in our passage, the sense Jesus is the great high priest over the house of God, that was the second sense statement in our passage, Okay? but it points to all that Jesus accomplished okay uh, let's look back at 19 to 21 because this is the quick summary of the last five five chapters therefore brothers since we since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that that uh, he opened for us through the curtain that is his through his flesh and since we have a great high priest over the house of of God. Okay? So there's two sense statements. Since this is true and since that is true. There's two of them. Okay? And here's uh if if you're more of hey it did load up. Great. Go back one. Um go back one. So here's kind of the breakdown. These are the these are the words that are in the ESV, just written with indention to help you see the logic flow. Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, how do we get there? By the blood of Jesus. But The blood of Jesus opens a new way for us. And how is it opened? Well, it's opened through his flesh. And so all of those things modify or explain the confidence we have to enter the holy place. That's the first thing. The second thing is since we have a great high priest, an advocate, one who, that we stake our claim on. If you want to understand that and be able to sing about it, go back and listen to the words of the third song that we sang today. Upon a life I did not live. You know, I stake my whole eternity on someone else, on another's life, another's death. On on that, I rest. Not on you, not on what you can do or bring to the table. It's the idea of staking your whole eternity on the blood of Jesus. And because of the firm, certain hope that we have, there's a confidence that that breeds in God's people. That we can not only live uh, hopeful, that we can live with a confidence and a joy, we can walk into the very presence of God without hesitation because of the, because of the work and the, and the blood of Jesus. That he becomes the entry point. So you remember the Old Testament? It even says that God, when he's describing the tabernacle, and he says that that uh, Aaron um, is basically, uh, cannot come before God whenever he wants because uh, there is a curtain in front of the most holy place. And remember when Jesus was crucified, what happened? Among other things, darkness and earthquake and all of this, what, t- what was torn in two? was the curtain, the dividing place between the ordinary, normal place of the temple, even the, the holy place of the temple, and the most holy dwelling place of God. It tore from the top to the bottom. So by the blood of Jesus, a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. How do you enter into the presence of God? That's what the most holy place was. It's not on your merit, not on another sacrifice. It's because of Jesus. Jesus is your entry point. It is a living, uh, He is a living hope that we have access. And so if you go, um, if you have a scripture journal, um, you might look at this uh, next page. And and so you've got our two sense statements. If if you don't have a scripture journal, this will mean nothing to you because you can't see it. Um, But you you see the red circles though, right? And uh, those are the two sense statements. And so the the breakdown of this is because of those two things, then there's three things. They could be uh, commands, but they're really uh, subjunctive things in the Greek. And my green is too light. Uh, So let us draw near, let us hold fast, and let us consider how we may stir one another up. So because of these things that are true, let us do these things. And there's three of them. The NIV translates a fourth, um, but that is actually uh, that 's actually a modifier of the third, um, and we 'll see what that is, but all of what Jesus accomplished since he has a there 's a firm certain work since he 's our high priest since he is our advocate, all of that sparks closeness to God okay and all of these words that we 're going to look at today are things that are beginning they 're action words so i uh, you know I, I debated you know does does the work of Jesus open the way? Yes. But that's not strong enough for what this passage is talking about. It elicits us drawing near to God. It's what we ought to do because of the work of Jesus. It's not just, okay, that's available to you if you want it. It is a call uh, from the word that we would in fact do that. Verse 22. So because of all these things, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. The, the command, or what we're called to do, is to draw near with a with a uh, really to draw near to God, and all those other things modify or explain how to do that. That we ought to approach God without fear, without hesitance and with absolute confidence and assurance. And how in the world is that possible? So let's think of the idea of drawing near. What is, what is one way that we draw near to God is obviously through prayer. Have you ever wondered why we uh, end prayer in Jesus' name? You know, or in the name of Christ, amen. You know, is it just a nice tag at the end of a prayer? Is it a nice salutation? Is it because we don't have anything else to say, and so we don't know how to end, and so we say that? Is it just a formula that makes something like like kind of, you know, kind of a good prayer if you say that at the end? Well, something in me says it's more than that, but why do we end our prayers in Jesus' name, amen? It's because we pray, and we draw near because of the merits of Jesus. We draw near because of the merits of his name. It's not a tack-on. It's not the thing that we just throw in at the end. It truly is uh, kind of the framing aspect of our prayer. So um, uh, Brian Chapel, a uh, great author, uh, former uh, president of the seminary that I went to, he, he wrote a book called Praying Backwards. So instead of tacking on at the end in Jesus' name, he submits that we might start with that. Um, and, and so he says this, praying in Jesus' name is automatically a confession of our unworthiness and a proclamation of his worthiness. So think about it this way, that, that God, I come before you in the name of Jesus. If you start there, don't you start with the right heart? Rather than, God, I come before you uh, as, you know, kind of feeling uh, confident because of who I am. God, I come before you solely on the merit of Jesus, washed by his blood, resting on his record, walking through him into your very presence, knowing that he is always living to plead for me and pray for me and intercede for me, and his death is satisfied your wrath towards me. With all of that in mind, I come before you. And so to pray in Jesus' name uh, is, is truly to, to state your bold approach is not about you, but it is based on the name and the person and the work of Jesus. That's what brings us to a full assurance or full confidence of our faith. That what's, is what allows us to come with a true heart, is a true heart— Or a sincere heart, as some other versions would say, uh, is that a cleaned-up heart that has no no stain or blemish? That that's the heart that can come before God? No, none of us could come. So what would a true and sincere heart be? Is one that brings all of us. Weaknesses, struggles, rebellion, sin... Uh, joys, uh, things that God has made grown us in holiness. We bring all of that in sincerity, and how can we bring any of our sin before God is only resting on the work and the merits of Jesus. Praying in his name changes everything. And so when we say that because of what Jesus has accomplished, that ought to spark us to closeness with God, it's because we have a great confidence to do so, but then it also all that he accomplished bolsters our confidence as God unfolds His plan. There's a lot of words in there, um, but in verse 23 is the second. Let us so not not only let us draw near, but let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. I love the NIV translation on this one. And so when you hear me stumble over reading the ESV, it's because all the upbringing of Scripture memory from NIV is floating in. And uh, the NIV uh, says that we should hold unswervingly, okay, like just, you know, without letting go, hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, Okay, you know, the ESV represents that without wavering, that there's, no, that there's no turning or no question in that. Um, but here's the question, is my faith, or your faith, or even is the confidence that we have in our faith, is it based on how strongly we hold? Is it, str- is it based on how unswervingly we hold to the hope that we have in God? And let me submit to you that that is not the confidence that we have. Our hope is based not on our ability to hold, because that wouldn't seem like much hope at all. On the contrary, again, our hope is secured by God's ability to come through on his promises. So the initial is that, we're, that our hope is, is on the person and the work of Jesus, firm and certain and assured. But what does the, the second part of verse 23 say? Let's hold on to this hope. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. Okay, For, uh, in Timothy, says that he is faithful when we are faithless. So hope is about the future. It's about God coming through on his promises. It's God delivering what he said he would do. uh, That God will do what he he says he will do. That our time on earth is short. And did you catch the last phrase of this passage, verse 25? It's applied to another of the let us um, statements. But it's, he says, do these things all the more as you see the day Drawing near. And it's a capital D. The day of Christ when he returns, when he brings uh, the end of uh end of uh, you know, kind of time as we know it uh to the fore, and he ushers in glory. The return of Christ is what we're looking towards. Yes, we celebrate Jesus. Yes, we celebrate what he accomplished, yes, we celebrate that he secured our salvation, no question about it. But it is also about giving us a future. We sang about it in that song, Glorious Day, that yes, I needed rescue. My sin was heavy. Uh, I, I needed shelter. Uh, and, um, and I was an orphan. I, I was broken. You brought me healing. But the fourth one of that bridge is now I have a future. And my eyes are open. Because when Jesus called, I ran out of that grave. It's not just what what is done and that our salvation is secure. Salvation brings us to a forward look. It brings us to look uh, down towards what is God going to do. And I think that's essential. Because if, uh, what, what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 15? That if you only have hope for this life, you are to be pitied more than, more than all men. That the, that the nature of our salvation is something that gives us hope. We become forward-looking people. We look for what God is doing, what God will do, and the will do actually change, changes the way that we live right now. We live in hope that God is able to do what he says. So now with all of that as a basis, So it sparks closeness with God. It bolsters our hope and our confidence in our hope. How does it change us as a people? Okay, that sounded awfully individual, though I'm not sure it was totally meant to be, merely that. What is all that Jesus accomplished, and I'm going to use a word that's kind of a, a, it's a purposeful word that is, that uh, it compels us to prod each other, okay? What's a prod? A prod, not the electric ones, but um, what's a, pre- <laughs> anyway, that's a, that's a different idea. But, um, but the idea of prodding, it, a prod is something that's annoying, right? A prod is like you get poked, Okay, you know, you're out with a husband and a wife and the husband makes a joke that, you know, the wife is like, don't say that. And what does he get? He gets an elbow, right? Okay, that's a prod. Um, That one is a stop talking, okay? But if someone is not moving or, uh, you know, an animal like a cow or cattle are not moving, what does somebody do is they basically, you know, they move uh, the animal along. They prod the animal. They poke, they uh, tap, um, depending on how, <laughs> how stubborn the animal might be. Um, but it's to provoke or stimulate movement, okay? Um, I would say most often the words annoy, provoke, spur, those are negative words. Would you agree? You know, those are negative words, but that's the word that's in this passage. Okay, verses 24 to 25. uh, Let us, because of all of what Jesus did, let us consider how to stir up, that's the provoke word, how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all all the more as you see the day approaching. The idea is that we would consider which is the same word as earlier used in in uh, in chapter 2 and chapter 3 that we would pay careful attention even to the point of fixing our eyes on something so lock your eyes lock your mind consider how you might stir up each other now the, the, the negative of that is that being poked or prodded or elbowed, it's negative. But in this context, it is to, uh, g- grant me a little bit of freedom, to irritate to the point of action. That you would incite somebody. And, you know, it's not just help, it is to, to get somebody going in love and good deeds and trust of who God is. And, and so, you know, all of those words uh, are very non-Southern, right? Yes. I mean, you know, we, we're polite here. Uh, we're, we're gracious, you know. Bless her heart. Um, you know, we wouldn't dare provoke or uh, annoy or prod or stir up. That That is just not the way. But it's biblical. Because of who Jesus is, because of what he has done, because of the confidence that we have to draw into the the presence of God, we ought to spur each other, stir each other up, provoke each other towards loving him and loving each other. And so what's interesting is that there's one side of that, that this is the side we like being on, um, at least in this equation, is looking for ways that we can spur somebody else on, right? Challenging them, saying the tough thing at the tough time, uh, or maybe saying the encouraging word to get somebody kind of uh, walking again and and trusting. Uh, We like that side, except it's bold. But we'd rather be on that side than on the other side, right? Because if you're going to spur somebody, somebody is receiving that. And I think both are the call for God's people. The listening side, kind of being willing to have somebody speak into your life. Somebody that would come up and say, you know what? Uh, You know, go, continue to walk, continue to live your faith out. So so the call is for not us to only stir each other up but it is to uh, for us to allow ourselves to be stirred up. So how do you do when somebody comes to you and you know they're not like they didn't stay up at night like wanting to come talk to you. I mean they're coming probably because God's like dragging them there because they know they should. How do you respond? The other side is when God is, is calling you to, uh, to love somebody with boldness, are you willing to do so? You know, there, there's no family on the face of the earth that functions well without conflict. You know, no parent raises up children that, um, uh, that really walk with the Lord and are, are valuable members of society without calling them out and redirecting. It's impossible. Kids just go their own way. And so the same is true for us, that we would stir each other up. So it's, it's let us consider, grapple with how to stir one another up, how to provoke each other, how to push each other towards love and good deeds. But there's something that we shouldn't neglect and sh- something that we should do. So not neglect meeting together, but instead encourage one another. So the idea of us meeting together uh, is that we would not forsake, not neglect, not give up, not abandon being together as God's people. So the me in Jesus mentality of American Christianity is not biblical. I've got Jesus, I don't need everybody else. You might think that, but that's not the message of the scriptures. When you are united to Christ, You are united to his people. There is an expectation that God puts on his people to continue to meet together, to strengthen each other, uh, to be there for each other. So just please know when we gather as God's corporate people, it matters that you're here. It really does. Because uh, just... God's people coming together alone is an, an act of faith in our God. Us coming to wor, uh to worship Him. So spurring one another on gets us going, but not abandoning each other, not abandoning meeting with each other keeps us going. And so that idea of meeting together is the is the root word synagogue, um, a gathering place, a gathering together. Some people in this, in this group have stopped meeting together. They've kind of failed to, to kind of continue that. But instead, the contrast would be what? So don't give up meeting together, but what? Encourage each other. So again, meeting does not mean walk through the door only and sit down. If don't neglect meeting, the contrast is encourage each other. Not just be in the same room with each other. It is encourage, uh, spur each other on, help each other walk. And that idea of encourage, uh, we've, we've already looked at this word earlier, but re, uh, it's, it's the same word uh, that's used in John about the Holy Spirit, uh, that he's the paraclete, that he's the comforter, the helper, the one who calls. And so this word to encourage is to build somebody up, to empower somebody, to address them, to uh, speak to them uh, depending on their context. The emphasis of this word, don't give up meeting, but encourage. The emphasis is, is not what is accomplished by you doing this. The emphasis is you doing it. And what is it? Is it's a speaking term. It is one that builds people up. And so rather than neglect meeting with each other, speak words of encouragement over each other, spur each other on, build each other up, challenge, comfort, teach, and strengthen each other. Why? Or or, or with what urgency? All the more as you see the day approaching. Our future hope demands that we ought to be ones that are forward-looking, that we would be spurring each other on, that we would be meeting together together But with the purpose of speaking over each other, all the more that you see the day approaching. Because who's he writing to? He's writing to people who are most likely facing intense persecution. And he says, keep on, don't drift, don't walk away, don't give up, don't throw the faith away. Why? Because it is so easy to just, you know what, it's not worth it. And he's saying, Jesus is coming. Jesus is returning. You need to be around each other so you don't give up. You need to be in each other's lives so you help each other walk with him. Don't give up because all the more the day of Christ is drawing near. Let us draw near in closeness to God. Let's uh, hold on unswervingly to the hope that we profess. And then also let's uh, consider how are we going to stir each other up to love in good deeds, are you willing to take the risk to listen to, to speak, and are you willing to listen when someone that God might be leading speaks uh, words, uh, maybe of encouragement or challenge, uh, or comfort to you? Let's pray. God, I ask that you would take your word, um, probably one of the more familiar passages of Hebrews. Father, thank you that what you have done in Christ is firm is certain, and we can have a bold assurance and confidence because of that. Thank you, Jesus, that you say that we are with you. Uh, And so, Father, I pray that you bring out actions on our part. God, would we be ones uh, that are in your presence, that are drawing near? Uh, God, that you would restore us there. God, that you would give us a hope of the future. Father, would you give us a boldness in the way that we interact a boldness in the way that we even listen to each other. God, would you take us from churchgoers, Father, to being your body, that we would build each other up, that we would stir each other towards loving you and knowing you more. God, help us not be the same as a result of us drawing near, of us listening to your word. God, by your spirit, change us and transform us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.